It's time for a change. Strap your headphones on and join Chris, Scott, and Sean. Three active duty police officers in the Chicago suburbs. As they face the tough subjects, including police brutality, racial tension, rioting, and more. Weekly, you'll get tips and tricks on how to keep you and your family safe, what to do during traffic stops, how to handle domestic violence, and more. This This is a show about about opening a dialogue, accepting that something has to be done, and bringing communities together again. And now your hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Three Cops Talk. This is Sean, one of your hosts. As usual, I'm here with Uncle Chris. Hey everyone, thanks for coming. And Big Sergeant Scott. Hello, hello, welcome back. Uh, guys, it's good to be back with the band. Um, yeah. We had a good show together today. <laughs> yeah, um, I, got, I got a list of nicknames for you, but we'll have to cover those towards the end, because I'm not really sure we're still which working on We're still yeah. working on that. We yeah. should put it out to our listeners, so we get like... That would be a good That would be well, a good actually, one. we'll get well, 250 they, people to vote, which was actually more than the last Chicago uh, mayor's election. <laughs> so, um, you mean 250 kind of dead? Do people really speak? Yeah, that was, people, yeah, that was a live <laughs> that voters. Was a, that was a live <laughs> voters. <laughs> All right. Anyway, anyway. Speaking of politics. Um, <laughs> you were talking... We're talking today about like one of the things in the police world which is always amazing to me is like the ownership that people did and didn't take of the work like that's not my job it's not for me to worry about i why do i why do i gotta worry about that why do i gotta worry about the biggest thing right now is why do i gotta worry about recruiting people that are going to replace us and do our work or come in and backfill us and i've always used to say to guys we're all walking like sandwich board guys of advertising our business and we're trying to recruit people to do the work and if you go beyond just what your image alone is, if you take the mentality of like, hey, that ain't my job, that ain't my job, eventually people are going to go, well, then whose job is it? Right. We don't have hired recruiters, like people that are hired like for sports teams or corporations like through HR to go, we're going to recruit people to come do this work. We have recruiting teams, but Scott, you can speak to that a little bit here in a minute. I imagine uh, like how disjointed that mission is. Like what is, what are we really doing? How do we prove success with recruiting and things like that? And at this time it's critical mass. I mean, we are, we are in trouble across the country, especially in large urban centers. Like uh, the last show we did with uh, Lieutenant Stash was, they're down 536 guys. I read somewhere. New York is yeah, less over a yeah. thousand people. They're missing, and you know those are huge. They actually stopped. Like, didn't, they, didn't New York stop stop retirements? They're like, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's getting to the point where now it's like you know this is a conscription at this point. Right. You know, what do you get out of people that you're forcing to do the work as opposed to really want to come in and do it? But. Uh, recruiting people has always been something that I felt very strongly about. Like, you know, you always felt like, Oh, how do we hire this guy? It's like, well, you had no say in it. So why are you complaining about it? Why didn't you do something about the process? Um, You guys, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I was part of the recruiting team and I just didn't, I mean, yeah. I mean, you handed up brochures. I took my dog, everybody petted my dog and they took a couple pictures and, you know, you told them basically that we were, you know, our agency was one of the highest starting pa- pay salaries, and that was really about it. There was no, like, really, like, going to classes and, you know. Following um, through with people. Yeah, following right. through with people who were talking in individual classes or, you know, just, you know, inviting people for ride-alongs and stuff like that. So I don't think there was a – I think it was just a – I guess you call it the flavor of the day. Like, hey, we're having this thing. Everybody goes and you just stand around, you know, and it takes you when an I hour used to go to those, I was like, always be closing. A, <laughs> B, C. Always be closing. I, put they that coffee now. Coffee's I, I got, They were going to give me a Hyundai, actually. I brought so many yeah, people in yeah. that one year. <laughs> a nearly new Chevy Malibu. But, Scott, were, you, yeah, were all, well, you were actually on the recruiting team, too, I was. I was yeah, it was kind of a big deal. Um, no, actually, uh, right. the... 
we would, I mean, we did, well, Chris did a lot of it too, but like, so we would go to colleges. It was mostly colleges was the stuff that we were doing. And you're going to, we were going to a lot of law enforcement career fairs. Right. So it's kind of already, you, you kind of already know who your audience is going to be. And we weren't doing anything that was really high speed. I mean, we were, we would try to send people that did a variety of different um, assignments and specialties. So you'd try to have, you know, patrol officers, detectives, people that did SWAT. Like you try to, you know, show the showcase the different things that you did so people could get an opportunity to talk to them. But at the end of the day, what'd you do? You, you fill out a, here's a contact card, you know, here's one of these contact cards, fill this out and we'll, you know, if if none of them get coffee spilled on them, we'll bring them back to the, (laughs) we'll bring them back with us if we can still read them. Right. And then we'll have somebody go through them and email, you know what, send you an email and let you know when the next test is going to be. I mean, what what was that really? And that, <laughs> that was really resulting much, but then that night you ended up being like Frank the Tank at old school at one of those keg parties. Like <laughs> Frank, the we're gonna tank. go streaking across yeah. the quad. That's I mean, how you get you, most right, of your if, contact right, cards. If you, yeah, right? if you really wanted to see what the what the cool side of this was, was <laughs> and and sending me back to my alma mater to uh, yeah, you know oh was, I don't, haunts. I don't know. Haunts. I don't know right, about that. Right, but right. you know, we did do a couple. We did a couple where we went to just general career fairs so it was like i you know i had a booth next to like the guy from menards that was trying to yeah, get but kissing booth doesn't count. Like, <laughs> it was actually the menards guy <laughs> that menards. it was the menards guy yeah <laughs> that old menards. guy right anyway <laughs> back in the series <laughs> right, right, right. our guest today is probably one of the most unique people in law enforcement right now when you look around as to what like states are doing to address this issue if we don't get our arms around this as a profession I've said this before and I'll say it again. This could turn into a national security issue if we don't have enough properly staffed police departments in America. People don't see that happening in the United States because we've never dealt with it before. But, you know, in the great scheme of things, we're a relatively young nation, but we've got to come up with some unique ideas to attract people back to this work because it's still a great job. If you do this work, anybody that does it understands the magnitude of the effect that you can have on your community if you take it even slightly seriously. I feel that you need to take it very seriously when you do it. But I was, again, researching topics for recruiting and how we can improve it. I just put one search engine in. And I found this right away out of this great state of Ohio. You know, normally people from Illinois are like, Ohio, that's where you have that really good football team that always destroys our football team, right? Like, and I'm not talking about the we're Bengals. From, I'm talking from about Illinois. Ohio State. I mean, do we? <laughs> right, right, right. Anyway. I don't think we got us uh, hockey. We're not a Canadian. Right. <laughs> we got that, too. And uh, they got hockey there, too. The Columbus, they're pretty good. Um, they're a pretty good program. But anyway, um, I found that the governor's office is taking it very seriously. Not the governor's office is taking it very seriously, like, hey, we need to fund the police. and I need to get votes. He looked at it from what I saw of it, and our guest is going to tell us a little bit more of the governor's names or his relationship with her uh, and things along those lines. But I found it very inspiring to hear somebody at that level, that high of a level, an executive level, a single source person with that kind of power talking about what ordinary cops understand the problem to be. And and with it, he formed a position, which I I think has got to be one of the most unique positions in America right now. Well, the only one, yeah. Probably the only one. That is like a director level position that reports directly to the governor that's concerned itself with the recruitment and retention of quality police officers. Every other profession in the world lends itself to that. And ours being, you know, it's not cops. We're not important. We don't 
Right. What do we do? You know, it's we, we're the Constitution, yeah. practically walking around, and we don't take this job very seriously. We think it's just posting people will come, but they had a really great approach about it. And I want to talk about that with our guests, and we want to talk about that, I should say, but I was really intrigued by it because I tried being a bit of a recruiter in the last seven years I did it in my job, and it felt like a lot of times everybody was just like, that ain't my job, man. Why do you got to worry about that? People right. will just show up, and I'm like, man, this – Police work shouldn't be like socialism where people just show up and expect to get it just because they're showing up. Right. It needs to have some standards and really those standards need to be held throughout. And I think Ohio is doing a great job with that. But our guest today uh, started out as a police officer in the town of Copley, Ohio. It's a township, as we were educated on. Started that job in 2008. Um, been a cop there, still is a cop there for quite a amount of time. Did a little bit of time in uh, the Ohio Attorney General's office doing some work. Has a background in a lot of community relations type stuff. Stuff that, like we always talk about on the show, like we started rolling our eyes about it and we wonder why the communities don't interact with us. But she did when you do, she's going to explain a little bit more of that to us. Uh, did a lot of that stuff. The DARE, the community relationship, the diversity, valuing that uh, in recruiting people. And she was so good at it that the good governor of the great state of Ohio um, made her the director of Office of Law Enforcement Recruitment. Let me say that again to people that listen to this show because I've never heard that term before anywhere. Anywhere. I mean, maybe it's at the federal level, guys. No, maybe I don't. Have, I don't. I have never, never after, heard that. After you, gave me, after you gave me our guest information, I did a bunch of shirts. I'm like, God, that who, like, no, this cannot be the first time somebody thought of this. There's no way. But, but it apparently it seems like it is. Yeah, and, no. and luckily, it's very close to the great state of Illinois in the Midwest. Um, but again, it's the director of the, uh, the Office of Law Enforcement Recruitment. It's a director level that reports directly to the governor of Ohio to inform him regularly, I'm assuming, on the status of where we're at with getting police officers to do their work. And her name is none other than Sarah Shendi. We're going to call her uh, Director Shendi for the rest of the show because we're so impressed with her position. Your Highness. We're going to refer to her in, her, in the realm of royalty. That's what we think this job should be. And we should like know about like her offspring eventually getting married and becoming disenchanted with the crown. Right. Oh, we we're taking this. But, and she will, night, she will night you, Sean, by the time the show's <laughs> over. By the time the show's over. <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, the night of South Carolina. But anyway, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate well, you. Welcome. Time thank you, Sarah. Appreciate deal it. with us goofs about such a serious subject. But we, we really feel that this is really, really important to talk about. So please tell us a little bit about your history in law enforcement, and then we'll kind of go from there. Sure. Thank you. And please just call me Sarah. <laughs> Um, so I've been with Copley Township since 2008, and I have to tell you that prior to coming into law enforcement, my background was, I used to be a server and a manager at a restaurant, which is like the epitome of customer service. Um, I learned how to talk to people there. And then um, I'm very passionate about mental health. So I worked in the mental health field for Portage County, which is near Summit County. And then I worked for uh, Cuyahoga County Corrections. So I worked with the juveniles, uh, 20 females that were all charged with like truancy, running away. And um, the males that I dealt with had pretty serious crimes like domestic violence, aggravated robbery, burglary. Um, and that job was um, a turning point because it was like the first time in my life as an adult that I realized that like not everybody had the same upbringing that I had. Right, yeah. And I always, always, always mentioned my upbringing as a Arab American Muslim female, because mm. I feel that that's aside from my work ethic 
and my de- determination for success and, you know, all, all the components that make me successful as a person, being raised Muslim is, I feel, the single element that has made me such a compassionate and empathetic person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I have to say that because just like law enforcement has been smeared all over the news because of the actions of a couple of people, the Muslim right. community in America has experienced the same thing for decades. Right. 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 Yeah. So you know, it's you know what it's like it's, to be on the wrong end of that, right? right? Right. So it's a very unique experience. But, you know, growing up, I said in an Arab American Muslim household, you know, you're just taught on a daily basis, compassion and empathy. Yeah. And that nothing is ever about you and everything is always about everybody else. And I would see my parents, you know, working so hard and instead of spending money on themselves, they would, you know, donate it to someone that needed it. Instead of staying mm-hmm. when they were tired, they would go visit someone that's sick in the hospital that they, they didn't even know, but it was just mm-hmm. another religion. And they uh, were such great role models. And, you know, everything that we know as human beings, we learn from someone else. Right. It's all it's all learned behavior. You know, how we right. act, the people that we interact with, how they act. It's all behavior that they learned from people that were, you know, that are closest to them. Um, so that was my background prior to law enforcement. And then um, so I got on with Copley in 2008 and. In 2010, I started teaching D.A.R.E., which is another turning point for me. I'm a huge advocate of um, the D.A.R.E. program, the school resource officer program, and officers in schools in general, because I feel like that is one of the biggest and best recruitment tools that we have at our hands that we don't exercise as much as we should. Um, And I always tell everybody, Sure, DARE is a drug education program, but that's not all it accomplishes it. You know, mm-hmm. teach kids like don't use drugs and this is why drugs are bad and don't drink and drive and this is why alcohol is bad. And some of them get it, some of them don't get it. And that's okay. But what I always tell people is none of my DARE kids will ever kill a cop. And if that's what I accomplish, that's fine. Right. That's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's they still, right, right. Yeah, right. because they're going to you know, personalize that individual in uniform with officer Sarah and mm-hmm. Sarah has been nothing but good to them on their best and their worst days. So they're not going to want to hurt a member of my family, mm-hmm. Yeah, That's good which is why, again, I'm such a huge advocate for having law enforcement, of course, the right officer in our schools with our kids, uh, because essentially you're protecting America's most vulnerable population, which is our kids. Right. And even with kids alone is just, you know, it changes your life. So I taught D.A.R.E. from 2010 to 2016, a little bit at the elementary school level and the high school level, but primarily middle school. And then in uh, 2012, I got my master's because I'm very big on education and training. Mm-hmm. I think one of the problems that we have in law enforcement is that people and some officers think that this is like a blue collar job where like you can get by, by just knowing the bare minimum. And that's not true. And it never was true. And it never will be mm-hmm. because we are in charge of people's rights, civil liberties and the freedom. So we should be educated on a lot of topics. And I'm talking about like in field education on the road education and in classroom education. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2016, I went part-time in Copley and I went to work for the attorney general's office. I worked for OPADA, which is the Ohio Peace Officers Training Academy. 
Ohio's not a post state. So anybody that wants to become a police officer has to go through an OPATA certified police academy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went there for almost four years and I was a law enforcement training officer. And um, May 22nd of 2020, we were all let go. And um, since I was still at Copley part-time, to be honest with you, it was kind of like a blessing in disguise because I always wanted to be back in uniform full-time. And I never left the road. Like when I went to Opata, I worked Copley on the weekends, on the holidays, and I used vacation days from Opata to work the SRO detail at the schools because Mm -hmm. I want the kids to forget me. That's nice. I wanted Hmm. them to have a familiar face around and I wanted to know that I'm still here and I'm still Mm -hmm. and I still care. So I was always very dedicated and committed to my job as a police officer. And it's always been number one in my life. Um, So thankfully I got with the AG's office June 13th and um, with the support of my chief, Chief Meyer, who has been great to work with and the Copley Township trustees, I, I got off the payroll June uh, 12th from the AG's office. I started back full-time with Copley June 13th. Awesome. That's good. That's awesome. It's great. Yeah. Good things come to people that work hard. Right. Yeah. And then, um, so after that period, like within that week, um, the executive director of OCJS reached out to me. OCJS is the Office of Criminal Justice Services. And um, he told me that Governor DeWine wanted to do something about recruitment in Ohio, especially with all of the things that we suffered as a country last year, mm-hmm. COVID to the George Floyd incident. Um, you know, there were so many things that happened that as a nation, I felt like we didn't recover from one thing to move on to the next. Right. Right. Um, It made me feel so honored and so good to know that, you know, when executive director uh, Moore called me, he said, when the idea of this office came up, I just, all I hear is your name. I kept hearing your name Hmm. and I I understand you went back with Copley full time. And, um, you know, we talked a lot and (laughs) I told him in a very humble way that he's not going to find anybody that has my passion and drive and love for the job right. to in the office right. that I would make it work. Um, and there, there were a couple other people at the department of public safety that definitely had an influence with bringing my name to the table. And it's because I knew them from Opata mm-hmm. and, you know, in, in our departments, in our communities, in our families, we all have our reputation and, like um, Maya Angelou said, you know, people may not remember your name. They may not even remember how you look like, but they're always going to remember how you made them feel. Right, right. Uh, that passion and that motivation and the, de- the dedication towards the job. I've, I've had it since day one. I still right. have it today. And it's hard to find that, I think, mm-hmm. consistently. You know, some oh, people sure. feel that way about the job some days, but not all days. And I'm right. saying that we don't have hard days and that I don't complain some days. And of course, some nights I have a really bad attitude, but inside <laughs> I'm filled with nothing but like gratitude that I'm able to wake up and do this job here in America. That's great. Well, hey, if you don't mind me going back to your upbringing, um, pretty unique in w- as well. I was unaware of that. You know what I mean? You don't want to make assumptions, but 
one of the things that you do when you're starting to recruit people, there's groups of people that you know that you never see coming into the work. Like women are coming in greater numbers, but now when you say people that were raised Muslim coming to the work, I mean, there's obviously a lot of reasons for like you express maybe some intimidation factor or whatever. How is your family about that? Are you now, are you first generation? Were you born in the States and your parents were born overseas? Okay. I was, I was born in Saudi Arabia. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. I did a little but when people Saturday. ask me, where are you from? Well, first I say Akron. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. There you go. And they're like, no, where are you really from? And then I say Egypt. So my family's Egyptian. I was six or seven when I came here, 1990, 1991. Oh, okay. Um, oh, okay. So my dad thought I was going through a phase. Right. Yeah, right. People go through phases like doing promiscuous things or drinking or being depressed or all right. the above at the same time. <laughs> um, but I just, you know, we, we just had this conversation at the office not too long ago that most police officers become a police officer because of a police officer. Right. And that's why, like, those meaningful face-to-face conversations, I think, are um, a huge asset to us when it comes to recruitment. But one of my professors at Kent State, um, he approached me and he said, uh, Kent State is bringing back the police academy. And I was like, cool. Yeah, good talk. I don't know. Why you're <laughs> he's like, I think you'd make a great officer. And of course, he's I've, I had him for like seven or eight of my classes. So he got to know me really well. And he said, I think that you'd make a great officer. And I went to the police academy and I just I just fell in love. I mean, wow. It's a good story. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. You, again, a unique story. And for Kent State to bring back law enforcement, Kent State's history is very storied with right. you know, campus protests and yeah. guard that I believe that did that. But like, you know, you could see that arm of that of like not wanting anything to do with it. So that's great that that. And so that's where you did your undergrad was Kent State? Yes, I did my undergrad at Kent State and I did my um, police academy at Kent State and they have been wonderful to work with i actually just got a copy of the kent state magazine because they did a really nice article they did an, an, an alumni success story and then mm-hmm. an a and they did a really nice article in the kent state magazine that's great um, now is the do colleges sponsor academies there or is that just something unique that kent state does no there are uh several academies in the state of ohio that have open enrollment police academies which means that like students can go through the police academy for credit hours and for the experience. Really? Or if someone is not a Kent State student or not a student at the University of Akron or one of the other colleges and universities, um, they can pay to go through the police academy and get their OPATA certificate. Okay, so but they don't have to be sponsored by a police department? No, okay. they that kind of like stopped when I came into police work, like around... 2006, 2008, a lot of departments used to hire and then pay for the individual to go through the police academy, and they stopped doing that. And because of the shortage, some departments that post um, notice for hiring say that you don't have to be OPATA certified and that they will put you through the academy. Mm. Okay. That's that's Illinois. That's the way everybody does business in Illinois. Yeah. You don't go to the academy until an agency picks you up. So. Yeah, I think yeah. The, you know what I think. The only, there's only one thing to that that you have to be some type of academic something or other, doing a paper or something. That's the only way you can get in without having a sponsorship. But yeah, most of us they we all we all, we all responsible by department. Yeah, they hire you Best and then they send you. Yeah, right. Yeah, 
Now, when you're a cop in Ohio, what's that like? You know, what was it like during your tenure there? Because we were all hired in 2000 and I moved on to a different state and learning policing there. And these guys are still up in Illinois. What's yeah. it like to be a cop in Ohio? You know what I mean? If you could tell our listeners, like, you know, we, we try to get guests from all over the place and say, what separates Ohio policing from all other right. policing as far as you know? I mean, I would say that being a police officer in Ohio so far has been a really great experience. Um, when I compare law enforcement, it's really hard for me to compare law enforcement between like Ohio and Texas or Ohio and California. I always compare law enforcement to like Ohio and the Middle East, which you can't, you can't compare. Um, mm-hmm. It's two entirely different planets. And right. How like how do we how do we coexist? How is this so different? Yeah. And I try to explain that to people here because when you talk to individuals that have never left the county that they live in or the state that they lived in, and they really don't have that like that wor- worldly um, knowledge, mm-hmm. fault to them. It, it's hard. It's hard to relate to someone that like grew up in the Middle East or or in Russia or you know somewhere where Ohio, where law enforcement is very different. But I can tell you from traveling, you know, um, to primarily Florida, New York. I've been to Chicago a couple times. Sorry. I like our culture in Ohio. I think Ohio is generally like a good place to live, especially if you have kids and if you have a family. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say that like it's from all the stuff that I read and watch like on policeone.com or other law enforcement resources I can't say that there's a huge difference. And I will tell you that I always think about, you know, I have like thin blue line, everything. Right. (laughs) Right. And um, it makes me happy that that camaraderie is something that stands nationwide. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if you're a cop in Ohio or in California or Texas, you know, if we're traveling on vacation, if we're out and about and we see someone with like some thin blue line emblem on their truck or a bracelet or whatever, you automatically know that right. there's yeah. there. connection. And I think that that's something that we share in our career and in our profession that nobody else can say that maybe military. Um, but that's something. Yeah, but I did that too. And I gotta be honest with you. It's, it, it's it, you can talk to people like, Oh, you're in the military. That's kind of cool. But it's not as like, I gotta be honest with you. Just my experience with it is like yours. It's not as intense. It's like when you meet another cop, it's like, Oh, you know, cause you know, how cops are, we're like squaring yeah. off with everybody we meet. And then you're like, Oh, you must be a cop. And then you find that, like that connection. It's like really weird, you know? Yeah. And, and, oh, you're a cop. Okay. Now I can be cool to you. You know what I mean? Gonna be like, yeah. Everybody else. I'm still going to be really weird too, but <laughs> right. you know, I mean, but it's like, but it's, it's like, but that. I can it's talk like, to you. Right. But I think that what one thing about Ohio, I mean, you guys don't have, a, you guys seem to, you know, talk about the thin blue line and stuff like that. You guys seem to support your police more than a lot of other, you know, a lot of other states. I mean, you got the Florida that does, you got Texas that does, you know, obviously Illinois does not, New York does not. I mean, I think that says a lot about, you know, family and, you know, places you want to bring your kids up to, don't you think? Yeah. And I will tell you something, Chris, and I said this like a bazillion times this week, and this applies like heavy to law enforcement, but it applies to everything else in life. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Right. The right. people that you have in your leadership positions are going to help your department thrive and grow, or they're going to drive your department into the ground. And I think that that's something that is not 
um, taken as seriously as it should be, because essentially when you're hiring police officers, you're hiring entry level leaders. Right. Exactly. Every police officer is a leader. I don't care right. if you've been on the job for six hours, 10 days, 30 years. You're a leader. You're a leader in your community, in your schools, in your police department, to your peers. And um, I, I think it's, how do I want to say this? Like poor practice or bad habits that are just, this is the way we've always done it. Right. That, that most of the time, if not all the time, law enforcement gets leadership training when what? They get promoted. Right. Yeah. And they all go to the same academies and whatever else. Yeah. And I think that's something that should be heavily emphasized from day one. Right. I think leadership schools should be something that we just like hammer from day one, because when someone realizes that they're a leader, they're going to act and think and live differently. And you you may have acted one way for your whole 15, 20 years of your career, but now you've gone to an 80 hour class that has revolutionized you in leadership. And now all of a sudden you're this, you know, and it's largely a classroom setting where you're not like tested in it. So it's like, like they say, you'll learn 30% through lecture. Like, you know what I mean? Those kind of things are just, you're right about how we, from the get-go, need to be pushing people to be leaders. And leaders aren't always people that wear rank either. You know right. I mean? You're right. Right. We'll lead and do the right things no matter what position they're in. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. and then a lot of the times, like, you know, like, like Scott said, I mean, you go to an 80-hour class and you're supposed to be this leader, but it's the same 80-hour class they taught today that they taught in 1960. In 1970, there's no, like... What what I see is there's no like, hey, we need to take a look at, um, whatever the how do, you know millennials or people who've been here for ten to five to ten years. Then we need to look at you know what drives people that are ten to fifteen years and fifteen to twenty. I just think they go there, they read a textbook, and you know you get this piece of paper, and they think that you're this leader. When you know, but sometimes you look at our leaders and go, yeah, you know, they'll, they'll tell you something like, yeah, no. Obviously, you haven't been on the street. That's not really going to work. I'll yeah. tell you what. You go back to your office. I'll do my thing. And I'll come back and tell you what to tell the media. Yeah, and that's not a healthy relationship to be in either because now we have no, you know, I, I think if you were to really break it down in defense of some of the guys that do or people that do that work, we're a world that's more focused on management than we are in leading. Management 100%. is just managing a process. Hang it's just a managing second. a process. That's all there is. But leading yes. is... Okay, we just found the yeah. audience in. That's awesome. Um, but you know, I, I think that's right. a problem. And, and you're and you're like you're saying some great stuff, Sarah, because it's uh that's why you're royalty. That's why you're right. royalty at this point, because you understand the people. You're a benevolent leader, by the way. <laughs> please proceed, Your Highness. Please you my leash, my leash, please continue. Um but now we're talking about, obviously, the biggest issue I think that faces our day right now, other than a leadership crisis, which we've been dealing with forever. And I, I think that in some ways could be an easier fix, and it might fix our other problem of actually recruiting people to come do this work. I, I'm going to ask you, I mean, I read a lot of things about it, and I realize like these big major urban centers are all hurting. And like you said, I always think, well, look who's leading here. Look who's like, like people are just saying things that to get themselves in power. Like I'm going to take the police on. And now therefore, because people will just not dig deeper than they need to, they'll get elected on those things. And then they're left with these 
these these hollowed out cities that the cops are like, well, I'm not going to do anything because no matter what I do, I'm going to get in trouble. And you see like Chicago is down 500 something people. New York's down, uh, you know, 1200 cops and people aren't coming in either. Like we talked to a Chicago cop that we have a ton of respect for guys done the job forever, understands community policing on a level that's way beyond where most people would in some of the most violent city, violent places in that city. And he's like, we got 42 people in the police academy for a city the size of Chicago. They're supposed to have 14,000 cops. Right. We have 42 people in the entire police academy. It's like you could put pretty much put a person in a single room in that building, and then you it still wouldn't be full. Right. You know, I mean, that's like crazy to think about that we're hurting that badly for law enforcement. What are you? Is that one? Is it true? Is it true across the board? Is it just unique cities, as far as you know, or is it really a problem across America? And then if we can delve in a little bit later, like what are you guys doing that's so unique to address that? Well, I will tell you that it is a legitimate challenge statewide. Um, so bigger cities are obviously struggling because they have like a lot of people retiring at the same time that they need to replace just as quickly. And we all know that that's not how things work. No. Um, and then you have, um, you know, just the sheriff's office, uh, they are also struggling in terms of hiring and recruitment. And I do think that it, it is a problem. I don't think that everything that happened in 2020 has helped us in any way, shape or form. Um, but my thing is like, we don't walk away from anything tough or hard or challenging in our career. So what makes people think that we can walk away from this? Right. Yeah. You know? right. And, and so many people, and like I talked about this when I spoke at the school resource officer conference last week, I said, you know, we do things, we pay to do things to put ourselves through physical discomfort, like half marathons and marathons and a Tough Mudder and the Spartan race and heavy lifting and all this other stuff. And why do we fail to do the same thing when it comes to ourselves mentally, you mm -hmm. know? Is it when we approach something that's mentally challenging or mentally uncomfortable, our, our first intention, our first thing to do is to walk away from it or to not want anything to do with it or to pass it on to the next person. Mm -hmm. And when, when I worked with kids, I tried to explain to them, you know, like, oh, you're a football player. When you go to the gym, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I work out. I lift weights. Okay. Do you lift really heavy weights or do you lift really light weights? And they're like, no, I go heavy because that's what build muscle. Okay, there's no difference when it comes to facing challenges and adversities in life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You want to lift light. You want to take on all these challenges, and it's all about how we deal with them. And again, we we need good, strong, committed leadership right. to support us during these times. And I think that that's really impactful when it comes to like officer morale and going to work. You know, you might feel that the community doesn't appreciate you or you're not needed, which is both false. But it's so nice when your city, your township, your village or university police department or whatever says, hey, you're doing a great job. We know things are times are tough right now, but we need you. And, you know, it doesn't always have to come from the community. It doesn't always have to come from leadership. Like I'm really big on officers recognizing other officers. Yeah, right. Thing mm -hmm. goes really well. And when something doesn't go well. I'm also really big on officers talking to other officers and allowing it to be a mature professional learning moment and not a moment of like, 
you know, you messed up, you almost got yourself killed, you almost got us killed, sued, whatever, because you don't want it to be, um, you know, something that's like embarrassing, Mm -hmm. especially if it's a younger officer, that's going to turn them off from the profession. Constructive, right. Constructive, right. So, um, yeah, I do think that recruitment is a challenge right now, but I also think that we're here because we didn't do everything we were supposed to do like five, 10 years ago. Oh no, hundred percent. That's right. And I think, and I think, you know, you were talking about, you know, Bill and muscle and and that, and that, and that comparison. I agree. And I think what happens is my personal opinion, still being on the street, I think the majority of the communities and the police or uh, the, the, the communities and the people want us there. They, they, they appreciate us there, but I think the leadership just takes the easy way out. They don't want to go to the communities and say, Hey, listen, you know, I know you guys are upset or whatever because this officer had to do this to put this person under arrest in your neighborhood. But let me explain why. Okay, and we could we could walk away agreeing to disagree, but I'm going to tell you why. It's a, but I just think that the leaders go, oh man, we better just cow down and just do all this, you know, police reform and do all this in and tie their hands instead of just hitting it head on. Because you know, we've always when we go talk to people, we have to tell them whether they're right or whether they're wrong. I mean, listen. You hit your girlfriend, you hit your wife, or vice versa. The law is the law. There's a mark. I've got to take you in. There's nothing else I can do. You have to be truthful the majority of the time when you're going through. I go, why Why don't our leaders just do that? Because, I, again, I think, and I experience this every day, that I think more people want us than the media portrays or maybe some of our leaders portray. Yeah, and, and I'm definitely like not making any... Um blanket statements. You know, when we talk about leadership, there's over 900 police departments in the state of Ohio. Um, And really, and I'm not just saying this because I'm from Ohio, I think that the vast majority of police departments are doing a great job. Their leadership is doing a great job. The only reason I I stress leadership so much is because it is uh, a responsibility that we all have to take care of. Um, and I, I just said this earlier on a call, you know, when, when something happens, it's not the sergeant, the chief, the lieutenants, the captains that really cause the incident or have to deal with the backlash of the incident. It's us. It's the first line responders. So I think the first line responders are like, have, are, and always will be the meat and potato of the department. And they, we should pour all of our money and resources and confidence and support and trust into them because they are the ones that have to answer these calls. And then, um, Chris, you mentioned reform. And when I was at a, uh, the press conference that I spoke at with governor DeWine on Wednesday, you know, one of the reporters said, Oh, there's a bill in office. And I, I don't want to quote her cause I don't even remember what she said, but she mentioned some bill or legislation that hasn't been passed yet on police reform. And my reply to her was, um, police reform happens after every encounter right. and after every contact. Yeah. I step away from a call, like whether it's a, a DV call, a juvenile complaint, a traffic stop, me saying like, okay, that went well, but you know, next time I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do this instead because I feel like, you know, my words were whatever, you know, like that conversation. Mm-hmm we have with ourselves after these encounters and the conversations that we have with each other after these calls in my mind that's police reform like police reform is an all around the clock thing and it's Mm -hmm. thing that we have to continue to do but again chris like you said it's important and like 
I've been on calls where I've been super assertive, aggressive, however you label it. And after officer safety is no longer an issue, after everybody has been, you know, checked for weapons, identified, whatever, I go back to that person and I tell them, by the way, the reason I did A, B, and C is you did this and that's a safety issue for us. Next time you deal with law enforcement, please don't do that. Right. It, it makes us feel like our safety is threatened and it's going to change the tone. Of the encounter. Right. And I, right. I, and it doesn't happen on every encounter sure. because I know that some people that we deal with, they, they're not trying to have that conversation. Right. They don't care. They don't care enough for it to be a learning moment, but we all know that for the, the majority of the time, they are the, the law abiding citizens or for the most part, the law abiding citizens, everybody makes mistakes, you know, and um, they do appreciate the time that we take to explain to them certain things. And it's all a part of the police culture. Like yeah. mm-hmm. some things in our police culture are great and awesome, like the camaraderie. And, you know, if one officer calls for help, everybody drops what they're doing hit in their direction and, and all that. And then we always we also have some negative aspects of our police culture, like self-care and um, seeking help when you need it. And being uh you know how you encounter other officers that may have said something or done something that you don't like whether it's on or off the clock how you approach them and how you handle conflict so there's definitely a lot that we need to work on as a profession and i don't see change happening on the outside before it happens on the inside right right and 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 and, and starts with you yeah right that's what i was just gonna say it starts with you and like you know, just look what Ohio did. They had those shootings, um, you know, a couple like right in a row, and they came out, or they came out and they spoke Columbus. the truth. Columbus, yeah, yeah, Columbus, and, and they came out. They they gave out information they had. They were truthful, whether the officer was right or the officer was wrong. And look at, don't, don't, I don't think anything burnt uh, down. To, to kind of summarize that, Columbus had two shootings that were really, really, like, could have been really problematic. One was clearly an issue with the officer doing something that shouldn't have happened. He shot an unarmed man. Right, right. On a disturbance call. Um, and, you know, the the mayor of that town and the chief of police, they were like, we're getting the information out right away. We understand that this is this. And they were very honest with the press. The press couldn't fill those holes with, like, you know, ambiguity, like we witnessed sometimes in the Chicago area. Um, and then the second incident involved a 16-year-old girl that turned out to be stabbing someone. And the officer got there took the action that he did and they were uh, they, although they were supportive of the officer they also said we understand that this is this is terrible exactly. this is right. a horrible thing that happened right and both of those incidents could have led to the city of columbus burning burning down right and because they were leaders about the situation exactly. and they were honest and they addressed it right away it seemed like i, I don't know what else to, to point to the rest of the world like look at columbus look right. what they did with these two very contentious situations we shot a six in chicago a 16 year old young man was shot and it wasn't discussed or covered for the longest amount of time and look how upset people got about that situation if they had handled it differently on the front end and didn't make it a political issue you wouldn't be dealing with the situation so again there's some valuable lessons coming out of ohio at least at this point um, that being said, with the recruiting problem, what are you guys doing now from the governor's level to address this that, you know, is something the rest of us could turn to, look to and say, why are we doing this in our state? Sure. So um, the Office of Law Enforcement Recruitment is housed within OCJS, which is the um, Office of Criminal Justice Services. And we have two big goals. So our first goal, I want you to look at it like uh 
procedures and processes and people. So um, in terms of like procedures and the process, uh, we do have a consultant with our office. His name is Dr. Patrick Oliver. He has been so great to work with and a wealth of knowledge. Um, we, we said that our first goal is working with police departments to make sure that they have a good, effective, productive recruitment strategy. And, you know, 85% of police departments in Ohio are small to medium, or what I would call medium. <laughs> how many so officers? How many officers? Right? Yeah, Scott Scherzer are medium. medium right now. So, Scott, uh, Scott buys his at the baby gap, but what do you consider yeah. medium? Like 80 to 100 coppers, 50 to no, 75 right now? No, What I consider medium is like under 40 officers. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. okay. That's in Ohio, like small would be anywhere from like two to five officers, two to five full-time officers okay. the right time. Uh, medium, I would say is like 40, 50 max. Okay. And for larger departments like... Toledo, Akron, Cleveland, Cincinnati, they have, they're supposed to have over 400 officers. Well, really? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So our first goal is to work with police departments. And we do understand that, like you said earlier, having like a recruitment team is something that requires time, money, and man manpower. And those are three things that like police departments don't have. Yeah, right. yeah. Don't have it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very hard to find you know, the time, um, the bodies to do recruitment 100% of the time, especially when you are a smaller or medium-sized department and you don't hire every year or every two years or every five years, you know? Yeah. So um, we also work with them to like think outside the box of like, okay, you don't have a recruitment team. You don't have like personnel recruited, uh, you know, that just does recruitment. That's completely fine. Let's look at what you're doing that you could be doing better. Um, and let's look at some things that you have done that maybe have not worked out and let's not waste any time or money with those things. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, it's everything from how do your flyers look? Do you have like uh, bulletin boards around town? How do you advertise when you're hiring? Do you have um, officers in the schools? Do you participate in career day? All those things like there's so many things that a police department can be doing to start that conversation and to build trust via those encounters, because when those kids turn into young adults and they're thinking about a profession, you know, and they want to go into law enforcement, they're want to they're going to want to come to a trusted individual. It's mm -hmm. intimidating and hard to walk to some random police department, be like, hey, I'm 21 years old. I want to become a police officer. Can I talk to someone? Yeah. So I've, we know how that, I've, we know how that's going to work. I have a out. question for you. So it's not so much standard. Is it? It's not so much standardizing recruitment. It's just helping them develop a better plan, right? There's not like a yeah, set correct thing. Yeah, yeah. And we can't really like you know. I, I talked about this on our meeting earlier. We can't really standardize recruitment because every single department and every single community has its very own special and unique challenges and needs you know you have you have departments that like they police a primarily nepali community and or they have like a primarily hispanic speaking population or a somali community what what south southern ohio does may not work for northeast ohio because you're dealing with two different cultures mm -hmm. um so yeah we don't standardize we just 
give advice and we try to help them sift through, you know, like if anybody looked and said like, oh, we need to hire like 20 people in the next four years and we need to do a list of like these 15 things that's super overwhelming and discouraging. So what we try to help them do is like prioritize the top five things that you can start doing right now, right? Like uh, your, how you advertise, you know, like a lot of police um, videos that are out there that I have seen, they really stress, really, really stress like the physical aspect of the job, which of course you have to be in shape because if not, you can become a liability for yourself and others. Like yeah. we all know that, but that's not what our job is all about. You're not going to be running a mile and a half and jumping a fence. No, that's Max. <laughs> that's my partner Max's job. <laughs> like, hold, right. hold on to him, bro. I'll be right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's right, just right, right, right. There's some of them that was like there was one video that somebody out west I think did one time. And they showed it to us, and it was like all it was was like. Everything had to do like you were jumping out of helicopters, like you're yeah. on the Delta Force or something like that. And the community was so turned off by it, and they spent a bunch of money on it. So if I'm understanding this correctly, it's kind of like a marketing plan. The marketing plan is a part of the conversation. Yeah, right, right. Sure. right. Yes, it is. And like, do you have social media accounts? What do you post on your social media do you have like little, you know, snippets or stories of success stories that your officers have been involved in? Do you showcase all the positive things that your police department is doing? Because we can't, and I say this with all due respect to the media, because they have been nothing but pleasant and encouraging to me. But obviously I have seen other stories where it's very one-sided, mm -hmm. um, but people get the majority of their information from the media. And if that's their only resource, then that's the only side of the story that they have. So right. what are we doing as a police department to put out our side of the story? And I'm not saying our side of the story, like arguing or like talking about shootings or talking about anything. I'm talking about, um, you know, our officer saved a four-year-old that was drowning. Our officer, you know, put a tourniquet on a man that accidentally shot himself, whatever, whatever the story may be, mm -hmm. we save and change lives every single day. And sometimes it's okay to toot your own horn and let the community know what you're doing. Right. Um, what about, and, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, what about talking to like, when you're talking about police departments and hiring and those ones that, you know, maybe they're not going to hire for a while. Something that we see here sometimes is, we know people, we, we don't do it. I feel like we don't do enough planning to, for the people that we know are going to be retiring and kind of getting out in front of that. Cause we know that it isn't just like, Hey, we just hire you and you come in and start on Monday. It's not that you have to go through a process, a background, you know, all of that. You have to go to police academy, you have to go through field training. So does that factor into that at all about talking to departments about getting out in front of the hiring process at all? Yeah. And, and kind of like I mentioned a couple minutes ago about like why, like as an officer and when I was a trainer for Opata, I always heard this and it is like one of my biggest pet peeves when people say like, oh, nobody wants to be a cop anymore. That's not true. Oh, yeah, there no. are right. tons of people out there that want to be police officers. We just have to find the right ones and make them feel invited and included. And we, ha we have to put on that like image of inclusion. And when I say image of inclusion, I'm not saying like, oh, there's, here's a poster with like a whole bunch of diverse officers, especially if you're hiring like millennials and Gen, and Gen Zs, it's culture over compensation. Like um, I would rather go to a department that fits my culture 
and where I'm going to align with their culture, then go somewhere else and make money and be miserable because cops work a lot. Right. Um, so it's like, okay, marketing, definitely. And then, yeah, the departments that aren't hiring right now, that has to be like an ongoing effort of like, and I'm going to use my department as an example, because like on our cruisers, it says committed to the community, which we are. And again, you have to, whatever image you put out there, you have to live by. So we do so many things throughout the year to engage the public. Like we do coffee with a cop. We do shop with a cop in December for the holidays. We do the bike rodeo and all. And like um, we do uh, Halloween in the park. We do movie night in the summer. We do concerts. And like some of those things are strictly ran by the police department. Others are like a community effort, yeah. but we're always there. And we're mm-hmm. always talking to people. Right. And we have their officers, we have school resource officers, and when those officers go and in the schools and they talk to these kids, like understand that a police officer's presence in a school is recruitment. And when I say that, like in sixth grade, you're not sitting there like, oh, let me tell you about the police academy and all the- Right, right. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you push up, bro? <laughs> yeah, what, like that's not how the conversation up, yeah. goes. Right. But the conversation's like, um, you know, or, or a kid might say- when, when I'm giving them um, a tour of my cruiser, we do safety town and they say something like, oh, the back seat where the bad guy sits. And I said, sometimes we arrest bad guys. Sometimes we arrest good guys that make bad decisions. So it's like you have to shape their definition of certain things that maybe relate to them in a certain way at home, you know. Mm-hmm. So if his dad gets arrested for an OVI or whatever, is he a bad guy? No, he's a good guy that made a bad decision and we all make mistakes and we have to, to learn and move on. And like, you know, fifth grader, sixth grader seeing, you know, a well put together officer that always like says hi or smiles or high fives them. And like, it's so sad, but to some of those kids in school, that's like the only role model that they have yeah, in their life. Yeah, right. right. It's right. important. Gonna, you know what I mean? Right. They're going to want to grow up and be like that person and they're going to want to be that person someone else. So again, that's why I'm such a huge advocate of having uh, police officers in schools because you have countless chances to talk to these kids and show them who you are as a person. And when I taught there, so it's like a 10 week program. And the last week I always went in there in civilian clothing. <laughs> like I always <laughs> dress pants and like a nice top or something and the kids would be like oh my god officer Sarah <laughs> and they're like they're like shocked and blown away I did it to humanize myself sure. to let them know that like I'm a person outside the uniform and mm-hmm. I'm family and I have people that I love and people that love me and my family and your family may have the same problems and challenges. And this is, this is, I don't want to say this is just a job because law enforcement is not just a job, but this is my job. And this is what I choose to do because me being in this job helps me make you safer. And I love being able to protect and serve your family and your community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, even if you, go ahead. Now from the governor's office, obviously, Things cost money. Things are now. Has it been decided legislatively, or is the governor like adjusting funds to help provide revenue sources for that? You know, we live in yeah. a well. They live in a totally cash-strapped state 
for that. Um, you know, and, and, and like for the governor to come out now and say, I'm going to start adjusting funds to do this or do that. We haven't gotten to that point in Illinois. I don't know if they ever will. They, get they, to that won't, point, they won't do it here. Uh, and, and, and then that's a sad Not sign for a lack of optimism amongst the officers. But the leadership thing you talked about, but there's also rubber meets the road, and not to use an Akron. Oh, homage to my liege here. Um, uh, the, uh, the idea that this takes funding, you know, has, has, has funding been adjusted for that? I mean, is it like a, so, is it an item thing? So we do have a grant coming out. Um, it's going to be $1 million. It's going to be dis- distributed um, in two fiscal years. And I don't know too much about that stuff, but I know they're going to disperse 500000 one year and 500000 next year. And of course, you have to go through a bidding process and you have to, you know, fill out copious amount of paperwork to tell us what the money is used for. Um, but it's going to allow departments to do things that are under the selection, retention and recruitment umbrella. So... Unfortunately, you know, we have a lot of like police explorer programs in Ohio, which is another great recruitment tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, they stopped running because they don't have money. Like they right. need a couple beat down cruisers. They need shirts for uniforms and like right. some belts and they don't have money. So we want those programs to continue because those programs are like the grow your own mm-hmm. the right. successful um, when it comes to law enforcement. Um And just so I answer your question fully. So I talked about like our first goal with the office uh, in terms of like working with police departments, our second goal, like the people part, which is, you know, my thing um, is working with the people. And I know for a fact, like, I don't know about you guys, but I've never met a civilian ever, regardless of background, how long they've been in America, what college they went to. I've never met a civilian that knows what we do. Right. 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 So far to be able. <laughs> yeah. We're such a big part of other society and no one really has any idea because it's largely defined by media like Hollywood and like misinterpretation of it. So when you talk yeah. to people like like I, if I always tell this funny story to people and these guys probably got you got your own too, sir, I'm sure. We went to a lady's house one time, like she was, she was locked out and she's like, Well, what am I supposed to do? I go, Well, we can call a locksmith for you or something like that. And she's like you don't have a key to open my door for me? I was like, it's your house. <laughs> like, no, I don't have a key to your house. I don't want a key to your I house. I do. It's a size 13. Yeah. What, you know, yeah, am I, I going to change the cat litter for you? <laughs> so, what do you mean? Like, but she was like, oh, I thought you guys like had this like magic key. Like, it's like, wow, lady, you were, there's a thing called the Fourth Amendment. I'm not allowed to do that right. unless you're in trouble. And, she, and it was like amazing. And then that's when I realized that people have no concept. No, they don't. really don't. No. And even like I spoke to a senior from the University of Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago. And she's like, well, I want to go to the FBI. And I was talking to her. I was like, OK, well, federal law enforcement is not an entry level job. They want you to have five to seven years of full time experience, mm-hmm. a master's degree. So I said, have you thought about being a police officer? And she's like, well, I don't want to like drive around and stop cars for five years. And I'm like, <laughs> That's like 10, (laughs) maybe 20% of what we do. Right. And I told her, I'm like, you got Cincinnati police where you're at. Uh, Your options are unlimited. Right. Like, right. Dare, crime scene, community relations, recruitment, whatever. I mean, you're talking about a 400 plus man department. Mm -hmm. And um, I just was telling her, you know, the, the way that I wrote people into the conversation is like, 
You want to be a victim advocate? Come into law enforcement. You want to be a teacher and work with kids? Come into law enforcement. Oh, or a a child advocate or uh, a forensic interviewer? Great. So am I. Come into law enforcement. You care for the elderly. You're passionate about like crimes against elderly or, you know, crimes against people with disability. Awesome. Come into law enforcement. You have a finance degree, white collar crime. Come into right, right, right. Right, right. And they don't understand. Like they everywhere. don't understand that we do everything under the sun when it comes to not just like on a larger scale, national security on a smaller scale, things like uh, last Saturday, not my agency, but another agency that I scan a lady had a raccoon get in her house. I called the police. <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad I'm not going to that cult. <laughs> those little ugly things. <laughs> but people call us. You guys know people call us for anything. Crazy yeah. things. Yeah, I think right. that that's great. I think yeah. that that's what right. separates law enforcement in America from law enforcement from the rest of the world. Right. right. And I and I think, you know, I agree. I think one of the things, too, like you said earlier, I mean, we should be putting stuff out there that's, you know, we got social media and the news, everything else. I think we should be putting stuff out there that we do all the time. I mean, I really do. I think because they they don't, and they have no idea. Like, and there's a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, there's I, there's no shortage of things. It's just that it doesn't get out there, right? Enough. I mean, you know, yes. you, you know, you got to go into these you know scary situations, and we just you know we we just go do it because we love to do it and make sure that you're okay, you know. You know, you, you just and and some of them are funny, like you know the raccoon in the house. We had a possum in the toilet. You know, I was making noise. I mean, so I mean, you know, so it it's it, it just I think getting more positive things out there, and I think social media is the My way to God, do it. What did you eat, <laughs> dude? I had to go. I had to grab that thing, and it was like it was all blue, and I'm like, God, it was a baby. I'm like, oh, I don't want to get oh, was bit. It, dead? it was dead. No, it was just hanging on the, and it kept. So what happened was, you know, long story short. This lady's like, there's. I hear someone in my bathroom. So we go, like, oh, somebody's in the house, right? So we go, we get there. Long story short, we start searching the house and, and uh, in the bathroom, and you see the toilet just. I'm like, man, I know he's. There's no human hiding in the toilet, so I'm gonna open up and see something. And yeah, sure enough, there's a possum hanging on the toilet seat. I'm like, God, wow, there you go, throw it out. But anyway, there you go. And now you're at the director level, and you're listening about possums. Sorry, your highness. We've come full circle. We have come full circle. We have come full circle. But I mean, I think you do. I think people. We have to get more positive you know, news out there about what we actually do. And, and it's, yes. and, it, and it honestly comes from leadership. I mean, like you, we can link that clip to that conversation. People should be inspired in Ohio. I mean, like the, the knock in South Carolina is like, you know, you, where are you from? I'm from South Carolina. No, you're actually from Ohio. You're living in South Carolina now because so many people went down there and then they blame the traffic circles on all the Ohioans. I'm like, I think they're more than there, but, um, but it was great to hear this guy talk. I'm like, this is a governor. Like it's, and it didn't seem like it was just lip service. It was like, he went and talked to ordinary officers and like used terms that I was like, if he's got a PR guy that's feeding him this, so that's the no. PR I agree. I saw. I, th- I think the guy was really doing a great job. I was like, wow, and I, I can't. I mean, yeah, man, this guy and he just PR seemed he governor. seemed very genuine. That hey, I'm you know I'm the governor of the state, and as long as I'm here, I'm gonna do what I can to make sure my people are protected. I mean, that's what I got right. out of the whole thing. Right. He is. He, he is. For what you're worth. Yeah, and when I was actually how I got to Opata in 2016, um, when I was at Copley in 2014. Um, we had the Tamir Rice shooting in Cleveland. I'm sure mm-hmm. you guys heard about that. Yep. And yep. it was so, 
again, what an honor and a pleasure it was for me to serve on this uh, committee of 16 people from the state of Ohio. At the time, Governor Mike DeWine was attorney general. So I got to work with him then. And he put together this committee of 16 people. I was the only patrol officer on this committee. Everyone was like a chief, a lieutenant, uh, corporal, religious leaders from the community. And we had three subcommittees, um, use of force, mental health, and community relations. And we were to target certain issues and make recommendations. And I chaired the community relations um, subcommittee. And um, I think that like he knew at the time, you know, like my passion for the job in the community just like bled through and we made, we ended up making 25 recommendations, 19 of them went into effect. Um, and then I don't remember the exact number. One of them definitely did not go through because it had to do with police academies and uh, the other five or four, so, uh, some police departments selectively agreed to um, participate with them and others did not, which was, which was okay. Um, but I, I've worked, I've had the pleasure of working with um, Governor DeWine before when he was attorney general mm-hmm. and he is what you see. Like awesome. the, all speaking on the press conference is the man that he is. And I really appreciated the fact that he um, came off very supportive of law enforcement and um, he's him, his staff have just been so encouraging to work with. And what I mentioned before, law enforcement needs to feel encouraged and supported. Right. Well, one hundred percent. Absolutely. Especially under all of this stress. Yes and challenges they need to know that someone's got their back right 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 right. and i think that's i think that's a that's a huge recruitment tool for the states that do support to support their officers i mean that's huge knowing that you can go do your job and you have the back again this does not mean that we are you know it's the wild wild west as cops we could do whatever we want we have this thing called the constitution that we have to follow and if we go outside those parameters we should be dealt with accordingly what i'm saying is you know, if you have that type of backing where you know you can go out and if you if you do your job, you do it well, you you you, you try you you know you stay within those parameters and you follow the law. That no matter what happens, somebody's gonna be there for you. I think that's huge as compared to huh, good luck with that. All right, All right, we'll see we'll see you Tuesday. Right, right. You know, well, the thing is, is people will talk it, but he's the state of Ohio seems to be doing some things with it. And right. people could say, Oh, well, that's just window dressing, whatever. Well, Sarah, to kind of wrap it up, where can people go to track your success with this? Like, how are we going to be able to one, have you back and talk about like a year from now? Like, Hey, what did you guys find? Did the numbers go up? What are people telling you? But in the meantime, where's a good place people can find information on this if they want to see how it's going. So we do have a website. Um, it's www dot ocjs dot ohio spelled out dot gov gov forward slash ler forward slash um so again www.ocjs which stands for the office of criminal justice services dot ohio ohio dot gov gov forward slash ler which is a law enforcement recruitment forward slash and that is our website um so our contact information is on there and then we built the website to as a tool for uh, the potential candidates that we have out there in society 
that want to learn more about law enforcement, how to get in uh, to the profession, um, qualifications, disqualifiers, the difference between like local police, the sheriff's office, the Ohio State Highway Patrol, different things that we do. Um, we have webinars twice mm-hmm. a month that we also put up. Um, we have an events page. So all the webinars that we have coming nice. up are on Right. And we have our recorded webinars on there also. And one last question for our listeners. What's like a median income for a, a copper in the state of Ohio? Like, is it, Ugh, is it? It varies. My first police job was in the village of Creston. It was an hour away and I made eight bucks an hour. Oh, wow. man. So that was my that's first not, police job. That's not even a living wage right no. now. <laughs> no. And to be honest with People you, hamburgers make more than that. Right it now. didn't even, it didn't even cover my gas. Um, right. Oh but God. we know that you're not in this job for the money. And I'm not no. saying you don't need money, like right. that's not right. saying at all. But there's, I don't know, you know, if other states have this, but we have like auxiliary police. They work for free. Mm-hmm. Um, right. This this job, it's it's a calling. And it's all yeah. about your passion yeah. right. and being a public servant. Right. Right. 100%. Absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much for taking yes. the time out of your schedule. Highness, and we appreciate yeah, nice your highness. You. Thank you for all I know. It's not often a queen gets to see three court jesters at one time. Right. But I mean, but, but, uh, and then uh, send me, uh, or Sean, let's get the website information. We'll put it on the resource page yeah. for everybody. Sure. And I'll send that to you also because I know that that's a lot to. Pay attention to. All right, yeah, and then I'll, I'll send it to you. And make sure you guys have it. That'd be Thank great. You so much. And I'll tell you what, I wish you the best of luck with this. I mean, yeah, this is that's great. You got a great plan. You got there a, and great a great plan. person in it. And yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. you it's be- going to go. It's going to go well. It's I'm sure. Be- now, how long is it? Are you appointed there? Are you there for X amount of years or day by day? What does I it work? No, I'm. I'm in it to win it. <laughs> okay, gotcha. There you go. That's gotcha. a perfect answer. <laughs> right, there you go. Sorry, we're two years. She gets the Hyundai. Yeah, right. She's <laughs> two years. We're going to see her kissing babies and shaking hands or something. I hope so. <laughs> right. Get a so, cop in a, in, a, in a governor's mansion. That'd be oh good. Oh, my God. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I can protect her for free. That would right, just be right, cool. Exactly. So, but anyway, so thank you so much. Good luck. Well, we'll put your website on, uh, and your information on the resource page for people to follow this because I, I really truly believe that this is historic. I really do. I do that, thank yeah, you. I really do. I think it'll accomplish great things in the state of Ohio. Oh, 100%. And a good um, model for the rest of us to follow, too. Right. And everybody can find the resource page at 3copstalk.com. It's number 3copstalk.com. You could email us at uh, three cops talk at gmail.com, the number three cops talk at gmail.com. Uh, anything, questions, suggestions for shows, comments, whatever. And we really appreciate if you go to where you get your podcast listens, subscribe, leave a right rating review. It would be greatly appreciated. We are a small venue. We're trying to get this mission out to as many people as we can to bridge these gaps and kind of um, humanize us and kind of get the feel for civilians so we can. Uh, be better service to them. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. All Have right, a great bye-bye. night. See you next time. All right, bye-bye. Thank you.